Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. With Conan Neutral. Valencia listeners, thank you once again for joining us for the one, the only Protonic Reversal. We welcome you, one and all, to the land of good times. Good time, boys? That's a band. Is it? Uh, I, I would be inclined to think, just based upon my contrarian nature, that they would not, in fact, be good time, boys, and that would be a sarcastic <laughs> title. Is that correct? I don't know. They're punkers. They're <laughs> British. Giving us a scene report, it's none other than Miss Brennavetz, a.k.a. DJ Real Time Drop, joining us for a very special episode. There's not going to be an anti-drug message or an anti-pregnancy message in this episode of Proconcoversal that I'm aware of. Well, don't do drugs. <laughs> don't leave your drugs scattered around the radio station. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> will that? Will that work? Because that's sure, good enough. You sure is a bear to clean up. <laughs> just make sure you clean up after your. Yeah, do all the drugs you want. Just don't be a cock about it. <laughs> I think that's good. That's. I think that's that's a, that's a good life ethos, if nothing else. So in your face, eight a.m. You know. Uh, so it is a special episode. Why is it a special episode? Is that a rhetorical question? It, it's a. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I. I yeah, I, I know the answer to the question. And I'm asking it. To, uh-huh. to build suspense. Do you know? Do you know? I think you know. I the have answer. a pet peeve about that. Do you? Okay. Well, can you answer? Can you answer the question? Uh, I heard about this guy that's supposed to be calling. Some in guy. Today. Yeah. Some guy's going to be calling. Just some in guy. Today. Just some guy. 
For you, huh? just some guy. No, no special influence in our lives or the music no, industry. No, no, no. It's just you know, just some guy. His what his, are you gonna do? His name ran, rhymes with Gandolfini. Oh, well, I guess it does, huh? <laughs> uh, that's right. Uh, little, little later on in the show, we're going to have none other than Mr. Steve Albini. Yeah, let me turn the audience up here. Got to get those live mics going. The audience is totally on drugs right now. Yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do with all these whippets laying around and you're just, just going to let them let it lie or you're going to go for it? I mean, it's 8 a.m., people. Jeez. I know. 8.04. Get on it. Yeah. Get your, get your whippets on. It's 8.04. I already had 10 whippets. Have some whippets with. Protonic reversal. Or actually afterwards it'll probably sound like. Protonic reversal. Right. <laughs> I think that's kind of the idea. It's slightly more accurate. Yeah, a little more accurate for sure. Oh, so uh, we got some stuff to to recap. We got some stuff to play. Uh, we're going to do all kinds of, of good stuff here. Why don't we do, 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 do. <laughs> why don't we start off uh, today's episode with a charming little oh that song you hear is the, the, the earlier is the Ozark Bowtie by Tilts great band and uh, that's off the first Tilts record the self-titled one uh, if you aren't already please 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 participate in the chatterbox and speak speak to us speak to us people speak speak back I like to be spoken to. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, this is a, a charming little number. Uh, you may know and you may not. But if you do know it, I applaud you because you are very esoteric. This is Necklace of Human Dicks.
Hey, this is Nate. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was tuning my guitar. This is Eric. And this is this is Dan. Uh, and Chris. And we are the Bismarck. And you are listening to Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. Oops, sorry. We just broke your amps. You are indeed listening to Protonic Reversal. Thank you, Bismarcks and Thick Bismarck. Uh, the Necklace of Human Dick song is, of course, a song by a band called the Bismarck, which that was which, gross. Uh, which was our, open, <laughs> our opening song. It's an evocative image, isn't it? It it's, really uh, is. It really I, I want to go back to candy necklaces. <laughs> Instead of human dicks, yeah, that's the, I like that better. Are the, it's a, that's the binary choice. It's either necklace of human dicks or candy necklaces. Yeah, you can't have any other. It's nothing in between. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you with the candy necklaces then. <laughs> After that, we had a song called Copper off of the album Terraform. I can't speak today. I don't know what my problem is. Today, I can't speak. Do you need some of my coffee? Coffee is delicious. Absolutely, yeah. It Uh, doesn't have milk in it. So just to warn you, it's full full throttle. You might as well dip a necklace of human dicks in it then. Ew. (laughs) Here we go again. I can't. I'm a very, <laughs> I'm a very visual person, and that's a terrible image mm. that I will never get out of my head. Now, thanks, Conan. Well, that's a song by Shellac, who is that's their that's the second Shellac record, which came out I think about 15 years ago or something. It certainly seems like it. it. It's been a while. And I read that there's a new one coming. There is a new one coming. It's called Breaking du- the Silence. It's called- I mean, that's not the name. <laughs> Breaking the Silence. <laughs> the, the that's new, not the, the name. New sh- Welcome to New Schlack Record, uh, Breaking the Silence. It's on all the Breaking Quiet Glass. Quiet Storm Radio. <laughs> <laughs> you can't tempt me like that. <laughs> I hate that Breaking Glass. Anyways, no, what is it called? I forgot. Uh, it's apparently it's called Breaking the Silence, and it's uh, <laughs> sounds like this. See, they're literally breaking the silence apart. It's yeah. called Dude Incredible. Yes, and there's there's no comma in it. I so. brought notes today. I see. <laughs> I see your post-it notes. Okay, I'm not. Gonna, I love taking notes. I'm not going to recycle that bit, but uh, yeah, looking forward to speaking to Mr. Albini. That'll be happening very shortly. Uh, had a had some great conversations during the music as we do normally. Like, for instance, we noticed that there was a band called The Dicks of Hazard. <laughs> yes, there is. Gave my 12 year old brain a chuckle. Of yeah, of course they went there like they should. I mean, I, I, I mean, come on. Can you just imagine? Be like, yeah, you should come see my band sometime. It's like, oh yeah, what's your band name called? It's called the Dicks of Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> but don't be alarmed. Like you're not in any danger. You're you're you have to be an amazing band or a terrible band. There's really like there's I mean you yeah. you gotta it's gotta be one it's way like or the other. It's like dicks or candy. You can't <laughs> it's either you're, you're dipping one in your coffee, so figure it out. <laughs> Uh, as as I, I won't say always because you weren't here last week, but as most of the time these days, Miss Brenna Betts is joining me, aka DJ Real Time Drop. And I welcome you. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad I'm back too. I've been working too much. I yeah. like to have my labors of love going on, including this creative outlet. Was that friend here that had that labor of love song? I don't know. Come on, I I just blinked. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it, I believe it was Frente, which is probably the most Frente has been mentioned on the radio in recent years. <laughs> Are we going to play say. that now? Also, did B Hamilton accept your challenge? They don't get to accept it or not. It's a uh, just... oh, they don't have a choice. Yeah, it's you it's, decided. It's, it's enforced fun. Yeah, I can't wait till that comes out. You don't remember this song? I even remember this song, and I have a penis. <laughs> what? 
Sexist. <laughs> well, that was fast. Yeah, like hey. It. You know, it's just... I remember... This is a good song. I like this song. Yeah, I, I'm amazed that I remember Frente and you don't. Like, this is like... And they, they were such a just a mostly harmless band. There was nothing really memorable about she's that. She's so like, cute. I mean, she's pretty, sure. But, like, musically, there's nothing memorable. It's like... This sounds like a coffee shop to me. You know what I mean? Is that Jewel? <laughs> it seems a precursor to Jewel. Anyway, that's that's it's more than enough, Frente. Okay, but anyway, so I, I saw a great show this weekend. Uh, did did a crazy. I'm going to try to recap this before we have Steve on. Do you know what I did? I don't. Please tell us. <laughs> okay, I will. So I went down to San Diego. Oh, uh, my lady and I, and we saw. Oh, I saw your pictures. It's a little man called Drive Like Jehu. Oh, oh yeah, I saw your pictures, and I didn't know what was going on, but now I know. That's great. Drive like Jehu, and they were awesome. Did you drive to see Drive like Jehu? I did indeed drive to see Drive like Jehu. Yes, oh, and, and they were fantastic. They they did a. So it was interesting because for me they were a very important band, very influential band, uh, and a band that meant a lot to me and still means a lot to me, and I listen to regularly. They could have done the the Coachella cash-in. I mean, they've turned down so many festivals and things along those lines of people that want, wanted to see them play. What they did was they did a thing where the Spreckles organ, which is a community organ that's, uh, there's like a society, not a secret society, just a proper society, that takes care <laughs> of this organ in uh, what Balboa Park in San Diego, which is the equivalent of like, cool. you know, Golden Gate Park, Central Park, something along those lines. Like, it's a municipal park and kind of a community space, and there's this incredible organ that takes up an entire amphitheater and it sounds amazing and it's the kind of thing that when you're there you can feel it like you yeah you that makes feel sense. the vibrations organs of this are organ. pretty crazy yeah and but this is i mean this is a for serious organ and for whatever reason because john reese is just a crazed genius of some kind that they decided that the drive like jehu reunion this one-off drive like jehu reunion was going to be uh, a set with this organ, with uh, Dr. Carol Williams, who's a award-winning, multiple musical degrees in organ composition and playing a uh, crazy musician. Uh, not crazy, like, as in insane, but crazy good. Mm-hmm. And she did a set before them, which was fantastic and, like, really impressive. And then she played the organ with Drive Like Jehu playing. Whoa. That's interesting. Which was interesting because of all the bands in that in that family of bands. Yeah, you know, your Hot Snakes, your Night, March, your Night Marchers, your Obits, Pitchfork, etc. Drive Like Jay, who has no organ in any of their songs. Right. So it was I, like, but, I was wondering. Yeah. Like if something changed and all of a sudden. No, but it really did work. And it made it such a special thing because there's maybe like 4,000 people that are all just like, what is this going to look like? Right. What is, like, I don't even know what I'm going to see here. And there's people like myself that, you know, drove down. Uh, right. Some people like flew what in. What if and, this is terrible and I just wasted was, eighty it, it, hours of my life? Exactly, and that, that's always the that, that, that's always the thing that's in the back of your mind for this kind of thing. But it was not terrible; it was wonderful, and they were fantastic. And it was it was bizarre, and it was awesome, and it was interesting to seeing you know John Reese, who uh, if you listen to interviews and things that he said, it's almost like disdainful of like oh, it was needlessly complicated this and that. But just here like. Watching him like play is like, oh yeah, this is actually pretty awesome. Like seeing that kind of dawning of like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember what I loved about these songs. And Interesting. That was that was that was really, and everybody everybody That's brought really it. Cool. It sounded awesome. Yeah. But it was crazy because it was like a half hour, some odd, you know, five songs, and 
then it was done. It was people like, well, what do we do now? Like, that, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> but it was awesome to be there and see that because it was such a special thing. The fact that they were able to do something for the San Diego music community for it and, like, bring people to this awesome Oregon, which I, why would I have seen this Oregon? You know what I mean? I don't live in San Diego. The only time I've ever seen in San Diego is on tour. Like, go in, play the show, sleep, get up. Get up. Go to the next show. Right. In the next city. And, like, that's, I've been to San Diego dozens of times, and that's pretty, that's pretty much been the routine. So it was, it was super, super nice. I've heard San Diego is really nice. It is nice. Yeah. It's, it, it's, I actually, uh, I, I found what people like about it. Oregon. For sure. Yeah, organs. <laughs> we're, not, we're not talking about the musical instrument anymore, are we? Are we? You I don't know. You tell me. Is there some sort of thing you should tell us, Conan? <laughs> no, so we're we're uh, are we going back to the necklace of human dicks? Is that what we're doing? I it's you get to decide. I'm not going to stop you. Okay, I, awesome. I don't really want to think about human dicks anymore. So, <laughs> that implies really you want to think about animal dicks to me, but maybe that's just where my no, mind goes. No, just no dicks. Okay, no dicks today. Till later, maybe. Just if it comes back into life. Do you, do you want to just keep going with this? See how far you can take it. I could. It could get weird. It's already there. I, I think we're. I think we're pretty close to weird already. <laughs> uh, so they uh, for and for the curious and the, uh, the fans amongst them, it was all uh, young crime songs. Uh, it was Do You Compute? Uh, they played Luau. They played um, Sinews. Sinews, which I didn't expect. They played Super Unison, but they also played a uh, song for the first record. Do you have but- any live? Footage? Uh, there, there is some, some YouTube footage. I haven't checked it yet, but I'm going to play a song off the first record I did not that they played that I totally did not expect here, which is easily the best song of the first record. Cool. And that's what we're going to play now, and uh, it, it's a long one, so we'll probably, when we, come, when we come back, we will not indeed be giving you some reggae. We will hopefully be giving you some Steve Albini. But and for now... we'll be a little bit older, too. Because <laughs> time... Oh, well, because time. We'll that, be giving you okay. <laughs> age and Steve Albini. Hmm. Yeah, tying it all together. All right. Yeah, that's what I do. Put a ribbon on it. All right, so before then, uh, this is, uh, speaking of time, this is If It Kills You.
Okay, that was a blast from the past from the the shellac archives. That was the guy who invented fire. That was a, one of the first shellac songs, I believe. Before that, we had If It Kills You by Drive Like Jehu, which was the terminus of my story of going to see them at that, that awesome thing. And on the phone, joining us right now, we have Mr. Steve Albini. Hello. Hey, how are you? Thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, no problem. Uh, are you calling me from a train station? Because I'm hearing quite a bit of uh, ambient noise. Yeah, you know, for a radio station, we got a lot of devices here that certainly do make a lot of noise, including there's a fan above you. we got the windows open. There's trucks driving by. We are community radio station, Radio Valencia, center of everywhere, middle of the Mission District, which is to say completely unprofessional in every possible way. Sure. Lovely part of town. It is. And it's uh, you, what I like about it personally is that you can hear the character of the the neighborhood in, in the show. What I don't like about it is you constantly are hearing the character of the neighborhood in the show. Character. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> if we're lucky, they might be laying asphalt. Indeed. If, if, if we're really lucky. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time, man. We really appreciate having you on. Not a problem. I'm uh, not doing much at this time of the day. So, you know, any time I can do something more interesting than sitting around waiting for the client to get here and or uh, catching up on my correspondence, which is something I'm notoriously bad at, then I'm happy to do it. And you are today's distraction. Fantastic. I, I enjoy being a distraction. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lovely place to be. Uh, speaking of course, so correspondence, that's actually something that I want, I want to talk to you about. It seems like there's and correct me if I'm wrong, and I know this from somewhat from personal experience, you're seen as a sort of like a, a punk rock guru of sorts, like the, the the person that someone comes on the mountain to get the wisdom from. In fact, I, I you think... Know, I, I'm, I'm real close to hanging up right now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm only saying this because I know personally that when I had a couple uh, of my terrible ideas, I actually consulted you. It was like, hey, is this a terrible idea? And you you were the, you took the time to talk to some idiot such as myself that you ba- barely have any well, know, any idea I, of who I am. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I I think it's it's presumptuous to think that you d- that you're above speaking to other people. And I I hate to be presumptuous. So when whenever somebody asks me a question, I feel obliged to answer it. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be. Uh, you know, an exhaustive answer, but I do feel a kind of, just as a matter of, of common courtesy, if somebody's taken the trouble to ask me a question, uh, you know, they, they deserve some kind of an answer. Sometimes that answer is, don't bother me with questions like this, but it's not, you know, that's not too likely. Sure, exactly. Yeah, I mean, presumably they're ask- somebody is asking me something, asking me a question, thinking that I have a perspective on it that will enlighten them in some way. And so... I'm going to, you know, take those inquiries at face value and try to try to help somebody out. Well, and that's that is, that is awesome, and I like that you present as if this is something that an average, you know, normal, caring, feeling human being would do. Because I agree with that. But as I mean, some, just think about it. Like if you were if you were to walk up to somebody on the street and say, "Hey, what time is it?" It, it, him not answering you would be him being a dick, right? So it's basically that, but it also involves people sending me unsolicited emails. You know, right. Absolutely. Saying, hey, what time is it? You know. But it, it is interesting to me that, I mean, it seems like you get a lot of interesting things coming over the, over the transom. Uh, and one thing that 
uh, when you were kind enough to join me on uh, the other show some time back that I was kicking myself for forgetting to talk to you about was uh, the Teeth record and uh, John Grabsky. Uh, Bren, are you familiar with this at all? Have, I, have we talked about this? No. Okay, so the, the idea behind this is there was this fella, John Grabsky, that terminal cancer, right? And yeah, it's a, uh, John Grabsky was a musician who had, uh, who had already fought cancer to a draw once, and he had the cancer had reasserted itself, and he had been given a terminal diagnosis, and he decided that he wanted to spend the rest of his life exploring all of his creative passions. He wanted to spend the rest of his life, like, cooking and hanging out with his girlfriend and hanging out with his kids and making music. And he, so he committed to doing that for the, for the rest of his life. And, I mean... You, a lot of people could say that, oh, I want to spend the rest of my life doing this, but here's a guy who actually had, like, a realistic chance of completing that goal, that is spending the rest of his life doing just the things that were important to him and his family. So, well, uh, and, he, he, you know, and he contacted me and wanted to know if I could help, and I said, yeah, of course. And in my understanding of it, and I, didn't, I never met the man in person, but he, he, he was a fellow that had played in bands uh, before, but never had really felt that whatever he had played in and whatever he had done really reached the potential of what he was trying to do. And so he had this unrealized dream of like, hey, I, I want to make a record that sounds like this thing I have in my head, and you know, I would like to do it uh, with this person. And so what, I mean, what is that? Like, is that an average day at the office for you? I mean, is that, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's uh, an amazing in, story. In a matter of, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, the six months or so that I spent working with John Grabsky making that record, and then, you know, seeing how he conducted himself during that and how he managed his, you know, his condition and how he maintained productivity, even though his, the disease was, like, totally attacking him, uh, it was absolutely inspirational for me. You know, I, I now have a role model for, you know, when the time comes where I have to address my mortality in a very immediate fashion. Right. I now have uh, a role model. I've seen somebody do it in a way that w was, you know, as pure as any other enterprise that somebody could conduct, you know. So that was totally inspirational. But also, uh, you know, while he was making the record, he was very candid about the idea that the record was meant to be... Uh, it's, it, it was a, a way of him addressing and dealing with the disease itself. Right. And I couldn't help but think of how other people are going to be going through what John Grabsky went through. Other people are going to be having to contend with cancer that won't go away and that is likely going to end them, you know? And that his record as a first-person account and as sort of as like a, as a journal of the experience could have greater utility and greater meaning than just uh, something for him. It seemed like it could be something for the rest of the world as well, you know. And and I, having run across other cancer patients who have encountered the album, the album is called The Strain, but having run into other cancer patients who have encountered that record, uh, and have said that 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 record was like uniquely suited to helping them address their disease. 
I feel like he really accomplished something monumental with that record. Well, absolutely. And if you think so, if I think about it, I don't. I can't think of a single other record that embodies those feelings and that point of view. Like some come from someone that you know clearly has been has been has been given the punch ticket of of hey, you know, time's up. Like you, you've got like this amount of time to do to do these things, and then writing about the experience of what that means. I mean, it's powerful stuff. And it was it was incredible. I mean, it was one of those things that I kind of you know watched it from afar, and I, I certainly contacted the man, uh, and and he bought the record when it came out. But it was, it was sort of like there was a couple moments where it's like, okay, is he going to stick the landing on this? Is he going to be able to physically pull this off? I mean, the man was definitely. Yeah, I mean, by the end of his life, he was he was pretty weak. But I think I mean one of the important chapters of that whole exercise to me was. He finished making the album, The Strain. He and his brother uh, put that album together, and it, you know, immediately became available on Bandcamp, and then it was available through a website that was set up to to sell it, and it started to get some attention. And rather than sit back and see what happened with that album, he called me and said, hey, I want to do another record. I feel like <laughs> I can do another record. So awesome. we immediately got started on doing a successive record. He wasn't able to complete that record before he died, but uh, the fact that he just never quit was right. really inspirational to me as well. Like he, he did the thing that he wanted to do, but it became clear at that point that it wasn't a, a goal, it was a process. Like, he wanted to be an, a, a, a creative and engaged person as long as it was possible. Not just as long as it took to make a record, but as long as, it, as, long as possible, you know. Well, and it sort of, it, it kind of puts it in perspective as far as when one thinks of the challenges of, of everyday life and the obstacles that either real or imagined that one puts in front of some yourself that, you know, th- this is a man that, you know, quite, quite literally there, there wasn't going to be enough time to necessarily do everything they wanted to do, but he, uh, he went at it and, uh, accomplished something amazing that touched a lot of people in, yeah. in a really profound way. It's yeah. I mean, I had, that was, that was an, a, a changing experience for me working on that record with John. Well, and so what happened with that second record? That it just it was never completed, is what it was. Yeah, the, he, I mean, he got through. He did all the drum tracks for it, and he did the principal guitar stuff for it, and then uh, he had to get back to for family stuff, and uh, he just wasn't able to pick it up, pick up on it after that. I mean, there were tentative plans to have somebody else come and, and help him, you know, finish the record, but it. it it became obvious partway through it that he was doing it because he had to and not because he was trying to finish something, you know. Right. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, and we've, I posted a picture of Mr. Grabsky on the uh, Radio Valencia homepage for those that are following the streamer in the chatterbox. Uh, there's, a, there's a very fantastic uh, tribute that's on the Electrical Audio Forum as well that I would highly suggest everyone uh, check out that has memories of the man and uh, a very fitting eulogy by, by our guest among many other things. And that's that's a decent segue, if anything, uh, to touch upon the Electrical Audio Forum, which, for those not in the know, and I know a lot of people that are listening right now definitely are, is a, a message board internet forum on mm-hmm. your electrical 
studio, the electrical audio studio, that has basically taken on a complete life of its own. Yeah. Where there, there's records, there's uh, <laughs> these incredible get-togethers that have now gone worldwide, all kinds of things. Like, it, it's basically have become self-aware uh, as its own entity, completely separate from the studio. Yeah, it's almost like it's like any of a hundred dystopian computer science fiction films, except that it hasn't yet become malevolent. You know, right? It's, it's wow. No, that's as about as accurate as it comes. It's sort of, and it it's just kind of become a, an interesting sounding board for very critical thinking individuals and very uh, passionate people with strident opinions. And well, what I, what I like about the electrical message board is that it, it was, from its inception, it was completely self-defining. Like, we, right. we opened a message board, and it had forums, you know, like, uh, for people to ask technical questions, you know, to ask questions about the studio, you know, things like that. And then there, then we added a general discussion forum to it just because... There's a sort of a community of musicians and studio people, and they, they, it might be, we thought it might be an interesting place to generate some discussion, right? And yeah, as it turns out, but it was. <laughs> but it completely took off, took off, and it, uh, and I think part of the reason that it's become popular and so self-sustaining is that it, we've never tried to monetize it. We've never tried to turn it into a tool to attract business to the studio. Right. We haven't put ads up on it. We haven't used it as, uh, you know, we haven't uh, attached clickbait to it to generate ad revenue. Like, we haven't done anything to the forum other than let the people on the forum talk about what they want to talk about. And I'm continually impressed at how well um, a, a group of people with no physical association and no prior association have been able to organize themselves into these really productive enterprises. You know, they're, like, as you said, there's a, there's a record label. There's now a, a distribution service for records Fantastic. that yes, were spawned amazing. by the message board or its community, its greater community. Uh, there, there have been a dozen or so uh, shows and or barbecue weekends. There have been countless, like outings to great america kind of thing like right that, yeah yeah that's sort of, you know casual get-togethers fishing trips uh dozens of romances a couple of marriages probably just as many divorces you know a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff has been facilitated by the board that wouldn't have happened otherwise and uh it's incredible to see the thing function just day after day it just functions in a way that self-policing you know it doesn't it, if anybody it is, gets out yeah. of line everybody else kind of straightens them out if if somebody becomes a really abusive troll then they just sort of get shut down it, it's a it's a kind of an amazing demonstration of how people if left to their own devices can come up with really amazing stuff right and that, that is one of the things that is fantastic to me is that it, it is so self-policing and that it, it almost seems you know, not to be flippant about it, but it seems like it's a couple dozen IQ points above the average internet message forum, to say the least. And I, I find that to be honestly an astounding thing in this day and age of just you know, de-evolution being real, and then the the race to the bottom as far as 
you know, any kind of critical thought towards anything. And uh, it's it's remarkable, and it's it's kind of the things like it, it almost seems like a spinning plate act, but it, it's it's actually quite strong and and strident. I think that's something that it's it's unique. That's very inspirational. I get so down on like the general public sometimes, just because I work in the service industry, and people can be really difficult. <laughs> Humans yeah. can be really difficult. Just to know that you know. That's not always the case. It, it's just that is so inspiring to me. Well, uh, I mean, service industry work is the sort of thing that very few people aspire to. Like most people <laughs> are are doing that because that's the, the you know the last refuge job, or right. it's a convenient way to like make dough in the short term while you're trying to get something else off the ground. Uh, so and everyone like there's a like everyone makes that association so no one thinks that you are a career barista or you're a, a career waiter or or you're a career busboy and i guess for that reason everybody feels obliged to make those jobs miserable like <laughs> i uh, i always feel like it's it it reflects really poorly on somebody if they don't treat people who are helping them get on with their day recently i totally agree i've that's like a deal breaker for me if people can't be just civil you don't even have to be extra kind just civil to waiters or people in service it implies a myopia in their own thinking too that just you know whether it's a self-absorption to think that they're just better than other people or just not even thinking about that person as a person at all but already thinking of themselves forward you know down the street doing whatever it is that they're doing well it's just a subtlety i think that exists and people act it there's less in an animate anonymity <laughs> wow anonymity yeah that's a word that's, it. that's the that word is that, is, word. that is, is a word of sorts yes um but you know the internet allows you to be anonymous so sometimes people do say things on online that maybe they wouldn't say in person but there's like the subtlety in person that you pick up on right away if you have ever dealt with people enough to understand like wow you really don't respect other humans as much as i do i do i mean like i'd have a general love of humans but sometimes just yeah. like anything it can uh, that's just a hard love be really <laughs> terrible and yeah. to see that people can act in a way and and check themselves it's just you know it gives me a, a certain level of hope, but I have a I have a question for you, Steve. Actually, because I read your essay that you wrote twenty years ago about the problem with the music industry. <laughs> he gets that a right. lot. <laughs> I know, I know he does. But you recently, back in April, did an interview with Spin where you said that you felt like that that problem had been resolved through like free music sharing and. What's going on with the internet and everything? Band well, camp. So, yeah, certain aspects of it have been resolved. Yeah, right. The exploitive nature of the music scene has now been turned around to where it's it's you know it's much less likely that a record label is going to exploit a band because there are far fewer record labels and the ones that exist don't have enough money to br- to to buy the purchase to exploit somebody. If you do get signed up to a record label, well, there's a chance that you'd be exploited. Record labels are not doing well enough now that you really need to worry about them being around much longer. 
Right. And there's also, you know, there are just so many avenues for bands to satisfy all of their distribution uh, and performance needs themselves that there's just much less there's much less incentive to even get involved with the conventional music business. Right. By conventional, I mean old school, like pre-internet music business. Right, because it's not like a necessary evil anymore. It's more of a choice or a kind of a, I guess, a situational... Well, it weeds out the, the people that are doing it for the, you know, what I would call the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? For yeah. people that are trying to get rich. To that, it used to be that record labels, you know, that the, the major label music business, the record business, used to be a pretty big profit center. Like, you used to be able to right. manufacture a CD for 68 cents and sell it for eleven ninety nine, and uh, keep all the money because you decided you weren't going to pay the artist anything. So that, I mean, that, that it used to be a very profitable business. It's not anymore because people can get music, get a hold of music cheaply or for free. So they're less inclined to play, to pay retail for something, which means that the corporations are less, are, are earning less off of it. They're trying to, you know, balance the books by squeezing money out of other, other ventures. But for bands, for working bands, you know, you can still play gigs, and gigs are now paying dramatically more than they used to. Like, just ticket prices for a live show for some have escalated by an order of magnitude, and that just seems to be a, a, like an unspoken contract that the audience has made with the bands, which is, we will pay more for a gig uh, because we're not paying anything for records now. Right. And because we're paying more for gigs, you get to keep more of the money anyway, so life is good for everybody. Right. I, I'm curious to know how you feel about Spotify and that whole thing that happened a few months ago where an L.A. band, um, Volp, Volfec? Volf? Oh, the one that gamed the system with the, put this on while you're sleeping. That, yeah, that they released situation. an album called Sleepify that was 10 <laughs> hours of silence, pretty much. And By the way, that guy totally looks like a chooch in that uh, promo picture of them. Like He looks like he has to take a crap really bad. <laughs> Okay, but anyway, uh, yes, I'll have on. to admit I'm I'll have to admit I'm completely unaware of this thing that you're discussing, so, all right, and so, and also I don't care about it. <laughs> well, all right. So this is for the benefit of the audience uh, that, that may particularly care about this, may not. Uh, there's this band that put a record of silence up on Spotify, and the summation of the of the story is that they they asked their fans to play this while you sleep so that we can gather our incremental you know part one tenth of one cent uh profit for from all of this and make some money on it and they they did they made that right like twenty thousand dollars i think right gaming the system and well that's the sort of trick that will work once for (laughs) 20 for 20 grand and then it won't work anymore because spotify will say we're no longer accepting albums of silence right you know and maybe the guy can buy some new pants for the ones he crapped from his promo picture. You know, luckily. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I mean, the the Spotify specifically, and the the sort of satellite music content channels, uh, things like that. Those are all uh, attempts by the mainstream music industry to resurrect itself in a new form. You know, like Beats Music, Spotify. The, those are attempts to corner a market. Uh, and once you know, if they if they corner the market, well, then they can abuse the the audience in, in that way. I I mean, I've seen in practice that people treat all the music distribution networks basically interchangeably. Like people treat 
Pandora the same way they treat the playlists on their laptop, which is the same way that they treat Spotify or the, the same way that they treat, like, uh, sites that are technically illegal that provide uh, downloads or, or, you know, bundles of stuff on, on peer-to-peer networks that are uh, torrenting, you know. Like, people treat all that stuff equivalently. So the instant something becomes kind of annoying, people stop using it. They'll use one of the competitors. And the instant you try to monetize something, it becomes annoying. So I think that's a, a problem that will kind of solve itself. Spotify is convenient for some people. Uh, I've noticed that, like, every now and again, people will post Spotify links on their websites or on their Facebook posts or whatever. And, you know, if you try to click on it, it wants you to download Spotify and create an account and become a user of Spotify. And I'm not going to do that. Right. So, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So the same whatever, so whatever utility they think they're gaining by putting a link to a Spotify tune on their website, they're losing that utility versus me and people like me, right? Whereas if they put up something from SoundCloud or, uh, you know, any of the bazillion free servers or a YouTube link or something like that where I don't have to, as a user, I don't have to do anything other than click it in order to hear what they're talking about then that's much, much more likely that to, works, right. to get me to pay attention to what they're doing. So I think, I think a lot of these things have kind of built-in regulation or built-in filtering that will prevent them from becoming ubiquitous. As far as their payments to authors and, like, songwriters and stuff like that, I don't care about that stuff. I actually have a, I have a kind of a fundamental objection to intellectual property as a concept. I think, I think it's been grossly overindulged. And I feel like it's really, really self-important for an artist of, of any kind, of any stature, to presume that they deserve to be paid every time somebody hears something that they've done. I think that that's, like, insulting to the audience. It, it sort of belies the way people treat every other aspect of their lives. I, I mean, it, it flies in the face of the way people treat every other thing in their lives. Like, you don't have to pay something every time you read a book, whether it's from a li- whether you pick it up from a library or pick it up off the coffee table. And that's sort of the contract that, the, that these people want to have with the world, is that whenever there is any access to anything that they did, they want people to pay for it. And I just think that's rude, and I don't, I don't want to indulge that. Right. So, and, and that is I, behavior, I, so yeah. I could care less what the payment scheme is like for things like Spotify. I think, you know, if you get a penny out of them, great. You've just gotten a penny, you know. So, all right, then look at, it, look at it this way. So as far as things like streaming services like Spotify that has an entire band's catalog up means that for the most part things kind of exist in a constant present tense as well as new things coming down the line. There's still everything, you know, older bands, discography, you know, long dead bands that people, uh, kids can experience for the first time. Everything is available all the time, always. But how do you feel about all this instant availability as far as, you know, people only have a finite amount of attention that they can pay to anything. And there's been some talk by some people that this isn't necessarily the best thing in the world, for people as we currently have our brains wired because you only have so much room in the bucket before the bucket starts overflowing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think everybody everybody 
satisfies their desires and then they move on. I mean, it's exactly the same as, as hunger or, uh, you know, artistic aspirations or uh, the drive to ex- physically exert yourself or, you know, what, anything else. It's like if you're interested in music, you're going to pursue music to the degree that satisfies your curiosity and then you'll stop. And I, I don't see how having more of it available to you more of the time is going to change that. It just it might mean that you might spend your 20 minutes a day on music in a slightly different fashion. Uh, I, I don't see it as a problem. Okay, so I mean... You, you, so and you, I do see that, and I see the, democr- the democratization of distribution as a tremendous boon to musicians. Like, the fact that two kids can get together in the basement and knock out some goofy song film it on an iPhone, put it on YouTube, and then, you know, a week later be famous around the world, I think that's incredible. Uh, I also think that somebody slaving away on his artistic, you know, on the thing that is the purest expression of his artistic impulse, and then finally realizing it and being able to release that and find six people on Earth that might otherwise have not run across it, I think that's incredible, you know. No, it is, and it's something that we've never had in you know the history of our culture. So it's something that's uh, you know, it's still a new experience for for most people that we are we have this availability of, of anything at, at any time. Yeah, and I think it, it's just it's I think it's important not to consider music purely as a as a commercial commodity, and remember that it is somebody's you know it's somebody's life's work. It's somebody's fondest dream that someone somewhere will hear his music, and. The fact that that is now trivially easy, I think, is incredible. Well, and I wouldn't even necessarily tie it up with, with commercial aspirations. I would just say that as far as... I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. Like I, I'm someone that actively seeks out new music. I seek out new music for my personal enjoyment. I seek it out to put on the radio show to expose other people when I find music I really enjoy. Uh-huh. But, you know, there, there, there's stuff that, I'm, that I miss constantly, and I aggressively search for new music. So well, the thing that's good about it is that it doesn't expire. And if you miss it this week, you might find it next week. <laughs> It'll so still be good. There, there's really no... It's not, like, it's not like these are ripe blueberries that are going to go moldy. You know? That's I don't think you need to worry point. about catching everything on the first bounce. All right. Touche. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and you can revisit things that you forgot about. That's one of my favorite things to do. Like... You know, that band uh, Radon that I sent to Conan a few days ago, they're from my hometown in Florida, and they're really great, and we're very influential. You realize that that, from a statistical standpoint, that's extraordinarily unlikely that this band from Florida were good. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, touche. You can can understand the skepticism on the part of the audience. Yeah, I, okay. I mean, I left for a reason, so... It's like strike one and strike two. They're from where? Ooh. <laughs> they're pretty... I think they're good. I don't know. Maybe they're not good. Uh, yeah, it's 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 fine. It's it's, it's These are jokes. These are the jokes. <laughs> Just jokes, people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the thing... The other thing that's really cool about the, the sort of vestigial, like, oral history that appears on the Internet is that, like, Whatever you're into, somebody did a blog about it, you know? Like, <laughs> you could, I'm absolutely certain there's a blog about, you know, old school Florida bands. And if you 
found that blog, you'd be able to not just find this band that you that you remembered from your uh, adolescence, but you'd be able to find like a half a dozen other bands that you may not have known about at the time. Uh, and somebody else has already done all the work for you. They've already found all that stuff, already digitized yeah, it, already right. put it up on the Internet, and your life is now better because somebody else violated all those copyrights for you, you know? <laughs> and, and you can read it, and it'll be probably alternately depressing and delightful, depending on which entry you're looking at at any given time, especially if band promo pictures are included, I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I enjoy nostalgia, so, I mean, I guess it's very convenient that we live in a time that I could just do that and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about all this. Oh, great. Take me back in a time capsule. I mean, this, you know, in an odd way, the sort of prevalence of digital communication is uh, is an extension of something that I've sort of based my working life on, which is that the recordings that I make for people as an engineer in the studio, like when I'm working for a band in the studio, I feel obliged to make those recordings durable and permanent because I know that it's, you know, it's not uncommon for bands to not find an audience during their natural right. life. And so I feel like it's incumbent on me to make sure that the, the recordings that a band makes during its active life, like that those are durable, like those that those will survive long enough to potentially find an audience. I mean, we've seen it happen hundreds of times where bands, long after they've broken up, bands find an audience and their records, which were initially not well regarded, have become, you know, post-mortem have become classics. Right. And I, I would like to afford all of my clients the the opportunity to be in that situation of being able to find an audience eventually, even if it takes years. And that's why I don't use digital methods in the studio. I mean, that's the principal reason why I don't use digital methods in the studio is that uh, the digital, all of the digital recording technologies uh, are ephemeral. That is, they, the work product is, uh, is, a digital, is a file that's resident on a drive somewhere and not embodied in a physical object that could be put into an archive. So the, the durability of analog recordings is so remarkable that you can literally play some of the very first analog recordings ever made now. And that's not true of digital recordings made even 10 or 15 years ago. Some of those are now irretrievably lost. Yeah, there's and, no classic dat show, you know? <laughs> that's not a thing that this happens. And so I like I feel like the like the the ubiquity of the internet and the and the the how the internet keeps proving the point that good music eventually finds its audience like that validates my working methods of making sure that the masters for music that is important to the people who made it survives in in the hope that it will eventually find an audience Sure, and that's you know that's that's the hope, right? I mean, that's that's kind you know, of like that. Death, the band from the seventies, sure, just blew up. The post-punk band Death, yeah, yeah, that's a widely more widely known story of a similar ideal idea. Yeah, and they certainly were not beloved in their when, when they were around. They you know were around this for this uh, time. I, 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 the 
connection is not that great, so I can't really understand what you're saying. But you are talking about a band. I just didn't get the name of the band. Oh, oh. the band Death, the post-punk band from Detroit. The oh, right, right, right. And that's that's a good example for what you're speaking to, uh, as far as people discovering something, you know, years down the line, and culture and society somewhat catching up to that. Where at, yeah, uh, but I mean, there are there are other more, you know, like sort of more obvious examples. You have guys like Jonathan Richman, who you know were unknown and essentially failed as a recording artist. Like he he'd recorded some demos that never got released. And then he recorded an album that was sort of perfunctorily released on a on a record label that was that was kind of a a tax shelter for somebody. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, then, interesting story you know, that yeah. It, he sort of created this sort of you know troubadour career for himself, and all those recordings that he did with his garage rock band are now considered classic. You know. Right. I mean, it's wonderful music, but at the time, you know, it, was, it definitely didn't fit any easy box or criteria that that met with people, what people expected rock music to sound like uh, in a certain way. And it didn't have, because of the reasons you mentioned, it didn't have the distributions options available that even you know they would have had today. They're like, oh, there's the Modern Lovers Bandcamp they right, <laughs> right. put up, and then hey, this is amazing. I'm going to play this on my show or like listen to it all the time. Uh, and that is a very real thing. So uh, once again, we're talking to Steve Albini. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's been it's been great talking to you. I, I, hopefully, we can keep you on for a little longer. Uh, I wanted to know. So you mentioned that you know you were just getting catching up with some correspondence today. What does a typical Steve Albini day look like? Well, I get up these days. I get up around seven thirty or eight. Uh, I'll take care of whatever I need to take care of at the house. Then I'll ride my bike to the studio, and then I'll do correspondence and email until the band gets here, and then I make a record until evening, typically 8, 9, or 10, somewhere in in there. Sometimes it goes later. Uh, Then I'll ride my bike home, make dinner for my wife, uh, watch the Colbert Report, and go to to sleep. Nice. So, Uh, if you know, if I get a day off, then uh, I'll play cards or putter around in the basement doing some woodworking, that kind of stuff. I play billiards occasionally. I don't really have a particularly active life. I mean, I don't have a really exciting life. It's basically, you know, work, sleep, wife, and a, and a few indulgences, you know. Do you find yourself playing guitar much recreationally? Um, only when there's, like, when we scheduled time for shellac to get together and do either songwriting stuff rehearsals or just to play together um i don't i don't just sit with a guitar in my lap and write songs for their own sake i i I will fiddle around on a guitar very rarely but uh i mean that that could explain the very very low level of productivity of the band that I'm in, right? But well, it almost we seemed... all sort of treat it the same way. We we do it because we love it, but we don't feel obliged to do it. Right. It's not something that you do as a vocation necessarily. I mean, it almost seems like you, you've traded a, a certain amount of longevity over short-term productivity, which is, I think, a, a, it, it seems like it's a very active choice that you guys made to keep yeah, it sustainable. Yeah, I mean, we consciously decided that we weren't going to be like trying to do shows every week. We weren't going to try to, you know. We don't all live in the same city, which complicates matters. But uh, I, I 
I believe that if we did all live in the same city, our level of productivity would, would be about the same. Right. And for, for a couple of years there, we did all live in Chicago. Todd lived in Chicago for a couple of years, and it didn't really change things. We still had to schedule rehearsals around our work obligations. Uh, you know, we didn't record with any greater frequency. We didn't play shows with any greater frequency. It basically didn't change anything. Well, and so you, you actually have, there is a new shellac record uh, coming up, I think next week yep. or something along those lines, uh, which is Dude Incredible, No Comma, mm, right? Yep. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the punctuation, lack of punctuation they're all about? Well, it's just two words, really. Uh, we noticed that we were saying it kind of a lot within the band, and uh, so we just, we hung it on one of the songs that we were writing at the time, and then that became the name of the album that we were working on. And this been seven years, I think, since uh, since the last one. Uh, Something like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit I've lost track. <laughs> it's been kind of a long time. So if so, it's been seven years. I imagine you know if you're not doing if you're not writing these songs, you know necessarily all at the same time. They're, they're kind of coming through in a very like gradual, like with someone say more organic process. Why release it as an album instead of just putting out singles like you did when you first were a band? Well, a number of reasons. Like the the principal one being that the the effort required to assemble, manufacture, and distribute a, a single isn't significantly less than assembling, manufacturing, distributing an album. Like, sure, you still have to organize all the manufacturing details. You still have to get the you know the pressing parts made you have to make get design and print the cover you have to assemble everything you have to ship it all out like it's not a lot easier to do a single than it is to do an album so then you, the 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 arguments for doing individual singles start to dwindle since it's not easier why would you do it that way well let's say you felt like the songs were topical and they had to get out right away well that's not the case with us you know, or let's say you felt like your band was, you know, barking up in popularity and you wanted to f stoke the fires of public relations and, you know, get on the Tonight Show or whatever. The, you know. And that's not the case with us. You know, our, our audience, I, I believe our audience kind of knows who it is already. And we're not going to trick new people into liking our band temporarily by putting out a, a new single. <laughs> So, like, there just there's just a very small number of reasons for putting out individual songs, if you know that eventually you're going to be putting out, if you know eventually that you're going to have enough to make an album out of. Um, you know, as physical objects, I like singles. I think they're nice, and I like the fact that there's a nice digestible chunk of a band that you, gives you a sort of a, an encapsulation of what a band is like in a very quick fashion. I like that. Uh, I like how, you know. Like I, I own a lot of records, and my singles, a lot of those singles represent very specific moments in my life. Like, I remember picking the fall single, Lie Dream of Casino Soul. I remember the physical act of picking up that up out of the rack because I had to justify it to the guy that I was standing next to because he thought that that wasn't as good as the last fall single. Right. <laughs> right. So I remember that moment. Like, so, like, those, those moments, like, are are embedded in my memory and and I associate them with specific records and I and I I'm glad that I had that opportunity. But 
I don't want to presume that we mean that to anybody else. And so we always operate on the basis of what we want to do as a band rather than what we ex- what we think other people's expectations might be. And so for us in the band, we just we were thinking of all these songs as a group together, and we decided we were going to put them out as an album, and that's that, you know. Right, and you know, there's nothing wrong with just hey, we like to put out albums. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's a totally acceptable thing. That's also an acceptable answer. But it is, I mean, it's interesting that, like, for instance, and I have not heard this this new record, but you got a song called "The People's Microphone" on there. You're talking about topical things. I mean, that was, yeah. And granted, you know, I. I you know, we broadcast from San Francisco, but I live in Oakland, which was uh, right. one of the heart of the Occupy movement. The People's Microphone, uh, for those that aren't familiar, was a, a, a thing where it was an amazing social construct where you were dealing with people that normally would be like a technological solution to something, which is that you've got this large group of people and you're trying to you know, have the speaker be heard that was done uh, sort of as a societal organization and a, like a social compact of just repeating the words of what the person said as you go out and out from the circles, uh, that, I mean, to me, that's as topical as it, as it can get because that's something that I was when I saw it, I was I was blown away. I was like, "Wow, what is what is this? What's what's going on?" Yeah, I, I mean, that, that seeing that in action was really moving to me, and I and it made a, it made an impression on me, and it, and it made me think about the mechanics of it, made me think about the, the utility of it as a as a as a means of not just as a means of disseminating information across a large physical space, but a, a way of, like, embedding ideas within everyone in, a, in an area and and also, like, forcing them to consider the idea. Like, I, I really like... One of the things about the, the activity that makes the people's microphone is that everyone that's repeating what they're repeating uh, is hearing it in his own voice. Right. Right. So in that instant, you're evaluating the veracity of the thing that you're saying. You have to think about it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You have to think about it. You're saying these, you're saying these words. You're not just making sounds. You're not just mimicking the sound. You are saying something in your own voice. And no one wants to be dupli- duplicitous. Or, I mean, some people do, I suppose, as, as a matter of utility. But, like, nobody wants to be bullshitting. Right? Right, right. So... Everyone that repeats it is evaluating that content and forming an opinion about it. And uh, so it's a way, so in a, in a way you could imagine that the best ideas would propagate the most and be the loudest. And the, the ideas that were flimsy or were insubstantial would tend to die out. Uh, and I don't know if that works that way in practice. But that was one of the first things that I thought of when I saw that happening was that, well, that's a pretty good filter, you know, because people aren't just going to stand there and shout lies at each other. Right. And I mean, that's yeah, that's that's significant. <laughs> you know, I think it's like the, it's like a real life fil- uh, real time filter that, yeah, you know, every person gets to apply as sort of like as you were mentioning earlier, you know, we we're talking about like, you know, the electrical audio forum being a self-policing community. It, it's the idea of that, yeah, like there's certain things that maybe you'd want to say louder because you think that that's a, an inspiring message or something you personally agree with or are feeling. And, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody, including anybody in the Occupy movement, actually articulate it that way. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing that record. Uh, it's 
Uh, oddly, that song is an instrumental. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you and your friends can get together and supply your own text. Fantastic. And there's a couple. Uh, what, what's up? There's there's a, there's there's uh, all the surveyors, mayor surveyor, surveyor. There's a lot of surveyor stuff going on with these. Yeah, songs. it's kind of a conversational loop that we got stuck in. Um, it started with an observation. I don't remember who made the observation, either either Bob or me. Uh, one of the one or the other of us, and I don't remember which, made the observation that a lot of the. Uh, original founding fathers in the United States, a lot of the original American revolutionaries were surveyors, like literally surveyors, that in meaning that they mapped out the this new country, right? Right, like that's like literally like mapped out, like went to the location and... Yeah, literally pasted off yard by yard right. and drew a map, right? So, and I was struck by how specific a relationship you would then have with this place that you were hoping to be your new country if you had measured it inch by inch you know it's it's like if you build a house you know the dimensions of every room you know where every pipe is you know like where everything is it, you know that house intimately in the way that you know your friends and family the way that you know your profession you know you know it's a it's and you're going to if you're living there you have uh, like a working knowledge of it and an understanding of it that nobody who just like showed up at a development and bought a house could ever have right, right. so that's the relationship those people had with their version of america and that's i think that's you know that's one of the things that engendered the kind of patriotism that they had which was that I mean that they knew the place that intimately right um, and then like uh, it's not really related but there I, I do think it's I, I don't think it's insignificant that now anybody who wants to can sort of adopt the, the stance of patriotism or adopt the, the notion of patriotism right without I doing so much as even knowing where, what where the county line is you know or you know and there are these political districts that are gerrymandered for the sole purpose of protecting one old white dude's job that kind of thing <laughs> right the politi the career politician sort of mindset that's and that choosing the, the voter <laughs> yeah and i i don't know i guess we kind of romanticized it slightly and uh, i just i mean we got into a conversational loop about it is, is the way i would explain it and so we were talking about it for a while, and then we each did some looking into the background of this sort of stuff. And then, then the the other uses for the term survey sort of cropped into the conversation. And I, I can't. I feel awkward explaining this stuff because it's we haven't really even articulated it that much between amongst ourselves in the band. It it's just. We ended up naming a bunch of songs with Surveyor. That's, that's all. I mean. <laughs> Which is a perfectly legitimate answer as well. Yeah. Uh, but we, we appreciate the, the thought that you that you put in. I mean, it definitely seems like there's, there's a lot of thoughtfulness that that you guys put into your songs that I always appreciate. As, as a, for instance, uh, this show, uh, Protonic Reversal, we actually, the, the end song, the, the closing song, if you will, is the end of radio. And which I don't believe I ever mentioned to you, but by the way, I hope that's cool because it's been the end song for quite some time now. 
Well, that's nice of you. Uh, and one of the things that really struck a chord with me with it is just, you know, the idea that, okay, we have the idea of, uh, you know, radio itself changing and the nature of broadcasting changing, uh, you know, especially with things like streams, which people are, are listening to right now, uh, to this conversation, things along those lines. And then, you know, there's that line, you know, can you really call it broadcasting if nobody's listening? And that's always something that I thought was so evocative because it, 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 ha- it hampers home, it, it it hammers home the idea that uh, having things for a more dedicated listening audience, like smaller enclaves, where it means more to those people, but you're not necessarily hitting millions of people, uh, things along those lines. And I just, I just wonder, like, you know, what, did, what was the specific inspiration for that? Like, how did that? How did that come? To, are you a big radio fan? Is that not really? It's just there was. A, uh, I mean, radio has been a constant in my life, and it seemed like there was a chance that terrestrial radio would go away during my life, you know, during my lifetime, like terrestrial radio as a mass communications means, like might disappear in my lifetime. And there was a lot of conversation about it in the punditry that, you know, that the, the internet was taking over all the functions of radio and uh, that, you know, that, that sort of stuff. And then, and then we just, you know, it made me reflect on all the different ways that radio has changed and, what using radio oh, as a metaphor has meant in different eras, like when radio was new, to talk about things as being radio meant that they were the most up-to-date, most sophisticated, most technologically advanced things that there could be, you know? And so you had radio was attached to all kinds of things, like, you know, Slingerland made drum kits called the Radio King, you know? Right. And, the, and a children's wagon was called the radio flyer because it's the radio flyer yeah <laughs> like uh, things that had literally no association with radio whatsoever it would be like as if somebody made a you know somebody made a skateboard now and called it the internet skateboard you know <laughs> <laughs> hmm i think i might put a patent on that, that sounds like a million selling idea so, and there, you know, and precisely the same thing happened with radio that happened with the Internet in that there was, you know, there was a big stock bubble. A bunch of people were floating worthless stocks that just had the name radio, the word radio in their name. And, you know, millions were made and lost in this sort of perpetual capitalist circle jerk that is the stock market. And, uh, you know, and then radio eventually consolidated and became kind of monolithic and then you had these radio networks that were super important and and then radio sort of democratized and there were all these little tiny out small independent radio stations all over and yeah i mean there was just a lot of different things that happened to radio in my life and over the course of my life and i i was interested in like the decay of that culture like radio celebrities used to get paid fortunes you know there were, you know, morning DJs in big cities were paid astronomical sums right, to yeah. jump from one station to another because that, that market share was so valuable, you know. And now they're kind of a footnote. Like, if someone that you, you know, can you even name a radio celebrity now? Like, John Houlihan. Yeah. <laughs> and, wow. And he's not even on the radio. No, he's, he's not, not even on the radio. That doesn't even take you 10 seconds. No, no but you, you're right. I mean, it's, it's like that era is... You know, mostly kind of a historical footnote at this point. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're sort of. But you know, there there was stuff that was significant to me, and that I think was culturally important, and you know, quite satisfying on the radio. 
and I don't, I'm not denigrating that. I'm just saying, I guess my, my point in writing the song was that it was worth thinking about the decay of, of an aspect of culture and seeing how that might relate on a personal level or to other, thing, uh, other, you know, other venues. Like, there may very well be a time when walking outside your house is considered, walking around on the street outside your house is considered as archaic as listening to a transistor radio would be now. Right. You know? Well, you don't use your avatar for that? You know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it, that's, um, yeah, that's, some, that's some interesting food for thought there. And, uh, it, it, I mean, it's something cert- I think we all think about here at the station uh, because we're certainly, you know, Radio Valencia is, is not alone uh, and the fact that we are a community radio station of people that largely do it for the love of it but it's something that's done for an, for an ever smaller but more dedicated audience and it, it's interesting to think about this, that societal change just over the course of my lifetime uh, let alone for like the last hundred years or things along those lines so it, it, it blows stuff. my mind that like we have that perspective perspective of change whereas like the younger generations don't have that it's like well i don't well. know i i think <laughs> those uh, damn kids I mean, every every no every, but i mean every the generation thinks that they have the top perch and they can see the farthest and that i think that that's preposterous you know like a friend of mine has a nine-year-old daughter and i envy her because she's going to get to see and do and experience things that are going to be utterly new, not just like things that haven't happened before, but she's going to have experiences for the first time that are mundane to me now. Right, right. You know? uh, and then she's going to build her own like personal perspective, which by virtue of it happening 50 years later than mine is going to be an awful lot more going to be an awful lot more informed than mine is. So it's it's hard not to be envious of somebody who's going to know more uh, and see more of the world than you could have. Right. So, I don't know, I, I think this idea that, you know, the younger generation it doesn't think correctly or whatever, I think that it's all a learning process. Like, when you're young, you you act like a schmuck and you do all kinds of stupid stuff, and you're young and made out of rubber and it won't, nothing hurts you, so you <laughs> do all kinds of stuff. And then, you know, as you mature, you figure out what's important in your life and you zero in on things that matter. And I think that's a, a process that everybody's going to go through inevitably, and I, I think it's a red herring to presume that any, well, any one generation doesn't get it. Well, sure. I, I mean, I, I think there's definitely. Well, and then there's this idea that there's a lot of uh, retrospection and uh, emphasis put on on the past with uh, the, you know these throwback Thursdays kind of things of that. It's it's interesting that people kind of tend make a tendency towards retrospection as a ethos, if if you will, as as they uh, advance later on. And it's interesting to see that happening even to people in my own generation. That you know, don't don't they suddenly start you know talking trash about the kids' music, quote unquote, and I'm like really you sound you know who you sound like you sound like the idiots we used to laugh at. <laughs> like it's 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 music is still music is doing fine. It's just yeah. that you're not aggressively searching for it anymore, and that's okay if you let it be okay. 
but it, yeah, it doesn't I mean, mean that they're at fault for it. Yeah, I feel like like there's always been there's always been a mainstream of music, and now the mainstream of music is just dramatically more diversified and more compartmentalized into different sub idioms, right? So finding what you think is counterculture might depend on what things you think are mainstream and finding stuff that stimulates you uniquely is going to depend on what you've already been exposed to so i think there's going to be a lot of people who feel like there's nothing of interest around them but that's because they're they're not doing the legwork right uh and they you know if they were to, to move to a different neighborhood or start hanging out at a different bar or had three different friends in their circle of friends, then they would have a completely different perspective. You know? Sure, totally. And, and so on that same note, is there anything as far as you know, newer bands or records or things that are, have really been blowing your mind of late that have, have come out of nowhere and, and uh, enriched your life? Well, uh, because of my job, where I make records every day, um, I hear an awful lot of music, and right. an awful lot of it is stuff that isn't actually available, mm-hmm. because it, it's stuff that's just been recorded that isn't, you know, it's so fresh it's not even out, you know. So this, a lot of the stuff that I hear that I find exciting and inspiring is work in progress, you know. Right. So, like... Last week I worked on a record for, I started work on a record, a new album for Nina Nastasia. She's a singer oh. from New York that yeah. I've done a half dozen records with. Fantastic. I'm, yeah, I like her a lot. I'm just crazy about her music. I think she's an incredible talent. And just hearing new songs from her, sung in her voice, I, I, I got shivers hearing it, you know. Just the fact that it was new. I can't even tell you if it's good. All I, can, all I can tell you is that, uh, like, the experience of listening to it was really satisfying and, and really exciting to me. Um, I, I, I work on a lot of different music, and so from week to week, I might, there might be something like, oh, that, that drum part there, that was really cool. I've never heard that before. Mm. But it would be overstating it to say that, that's, that there's this great record I'm working on because there's this thing that I find really exciting and really stimulating, but it's uh, a tiny sliver of what is ultimately going to make its way out. So, uh, and another, another problem that I have is that when you're in the studio working on music, you listen in a way that's completely different from the way you listen to music for entertainment. Absolutely. You're listening for technical flaws, you're listening for practical stuff that you need to consider as an engineer to make the session go smoothly, you're listening for misbehaving equipment, all, all this other stuff. You're not listening in the way that you're you know, nodding your head along and rocking out to something. So you're kind of prevented from enjoying the music it, just by the, the requirements of the job. You know? Uh, so, but the problem with it is that you spend all day listening to music that you're being prevented from enjoying, and then when you go home, you're fatigued from the act of listening, <laughs> right, and just, you don't want to listen to music. Right. So, in a way, it's kind of a, a nasty, um, you know, the job is its own punishment, really. 
Well, and that's something that, uh, you know, it's a very close friend of mine, ex-bandmate, uh, that's actually why he stopped engineering bands in the first place is because it was actually ruining his enjoyment of listening to music for pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, do you find that, like, do you have to, do you want to just, like, sit in, like, an isolation room <laughs> when you're when you're not recording records? Do you just want, not want any noise at all? Well, um, when I have my, you know, when I have days off, in the, when I'm not working in the studio, I do tend to do things completely unaffiliated with music. Like, I do, like my wife and I'll go on a little trip someplace, or, like, you know, I'll, I'll do chores around the house, or I'll, you know, I'll do stuff like that, where I'll do stuff where I'm completely disengaged from the music scene and my job at the studio and the obligations that music has placed on me like i i tend not to be involved in music at all when i when i don't have an obligation to do it in the studio the one exception being when i'm doing stuff with shellac of course yeah i mean that that makes sense that's <laughs> you're you're going to want to uh yeah i mean i i you want to hear things back i'm sure right <laughs> Well, I mean, we we like playing together, so we play together. What I don't do, like I'm I'm not I'm literally never going to jam with people. Like just take a guitar over to somebody's place and just jam. That's just that's literally never going to happen. It has never happened and I cannot fathom it happening. <laughs> uh and you know, I do go see live music, but typically it's stuff that I'm already excited about. Are you sure? Because um, I have a authentic relic Eric Clapton Strat that I think you really enjoy playing. Alrighty then. That's a lie. I I, I, I'm sure between us we can find a place where you could sell it at a profit. <laughs> I want to get a job where I actually get to relic guitars, meaning that you know I take them on tour, jack them up, and then sell them at an inflated price to rich lawyers. But. Anyway, sorry you were you had a you had a point. So I was in the airport not that long ago. I was traveling, and they had a you know they have the last vestige of the bookstore is the airport, right? Like the last place, last place where you can actually find books and magazines for sale is at the airport, right? So right. So there there was a book and magazine store there, and I was flipping through all the books and magazines, and they had I don't know if you're familiar with the magazine Cigar Aficionado. <laughs> it's a it's a very corny magazine for rich people to uh, to like. It basically promotes cigar smoking and the lifestyle associated with cigar smoking. Sure. Right? Well, there's a spinoff magazine called Guitar Aficionado. God. Which is an absolutely staggering piece of work. Like it is for it is by for and about collectible rare guitars as played by people with way more money than musical ability. It's an incredible artifact of our time. Like, I I can't think of anything else like this that exists, where it's full of ads for very expensive guitars. It is all about guitars, not a whisper of music, Right, in the just, whole magazine, just the tool, <laughs> just the guitars. Not a single actu- actual working musician will ever have a subscription to this magazine, right. and literally none of the guitars in it will ever be played on stage. Like that's that's how specific this magazine is. Right, it's incredible. 
Might as well be about museum pieces or something along those lines, you know? Yeah, it, I mean, they've just they've honed in on their audience. Their audience is guys who have a room in the basement where they keep all their guitars under, you know, in a humidity-controlled environment, and they have their vintage boutique amp, and they go down there a couple times a week and jam, you know? <laughs> I, I believe the very offensive-to-me term, anyway, is uh, called man cave. I think is where that happens. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Ugh. Disgusting. Uh, you know, Steve, this, this has been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for doing it, man. Really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, before we let you go, because we're we're actually running up on on time limit here, which is a major shame, but it's just, it's flown by for me and us at least, <laughs> if not for you. I, I did want to know: I, Would you mind doing a a old school station ID for Radio Valencia? Someone asked if I would get you one, get one from you. Uh, just something along the lines of, you know, this is Steve Albini, and you're listening to Radio Valencia, which is the name sure, of the station. Sure, I can station. say that. I can say that. In the fashion of the people's microphone, I'll repeat what you just said. This is Steve Albini, and you're listening to Radio Valencia. Fantastic. Thank How'd you so much, sir. That, that, was, that was beautiful. All right. You know what? It, it was so beautiful. People have busted loose in applause. Passing crowd. Just walking out. Uh, how in the, how on earth uh, heated walkway? You have a heated walkway, right? How did you yeah. how did you come to the the brilliant solution of having a heated walkway? In well, it Chicago? snows a lot here, and it snows a lot in Chicago, and I don't want I don't like shoveling snow. Um, and we we're, we're renovating an old house that had a big flat roof, so we could put solar hot water collectors on the roof. And so we have a, a, a massive hot water storage tank in the basement of the house, and we can use that hot water for a bunch of different things, and one of them is melting the snow on the sidewalk so I don't have to shovel it. Ingenious. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's not something I would have thought of, but then I also live in a climate where snow is not a prevailing weather condition or any kind of lifestyle impediment of any kind. So that, that's a... That's a good solution. I was very impressed by that. So, uh, Steve, uh, any, well, any? I'm I'm equal part. I'm equal measures smart and lazy, and that those two things happen to have converged on that one solution. So, fantastic. Uh, any parting words? Anything you'd like to share with the listening audience? Uh, no, not really. Don't quit. That's probably about it. Fantastic. Don't quit, uh, Steve. Thank you so much, man. All right. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Steve Albini, ladies and gentlemen. Let's hear some shellac. Like that guy.
started out with Spoke. Photonic reversal. But none of the Mr. Steve Albini. Had a little shellac block there for you. Coming at you. On the phone, we have uh, Mr. Whoa, Ray, whoa, Ray. This, hey, hey. Whoa, this is Steve Albini. <laughs> time for the interview? I'm ready. Listen, time is money, baby. We got to move fast on this interview. I got money to be made. I love money. Let's make some. I got records to make. I got money to make. I want to leave you. I want to tell you one thing. Take the points. Always right? take the points. That's what I hear. Always take the points. I fucked that whole thing up. It, I screwed my entire life up. By the way, uh, In Your Rose was recorded, recorded entirely on an iPhone. So you know. <laughs> just, just to get that out of the way. The whole thing, directly to iPhone. Oh, fantastic. Right, I gotta go. I gotta run because I gotta, I gotta record these clowns. I wanna suck down a couple cold Bud Lights before I start recording. That's my daily routine, alright? Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Alright, anytime, Conan's, and uh, God bless America. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, we do have fun here. All right, well, heck of a show. Thanks for listening, people. You've been listening to... Photonic Reversal. Other than Radio Valencia, I'd like to give a huge thank you to Steve Albini, our guest. Uh, what a cool guy. Find him on the internet. He always goes for the points, as you hear. Dude Incredible's coming out in a couple weeks. Check that out. Signing off. Mr. and Mrs. America. You can hear this show every Thursday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. It's called... Photonic Reversal. Anyone within the sound of my voice. And it's on Radio Valencia. Bitch. It's been a blast. Uh, Real-time drop. Got- we had to bail, so she sends our best to everybody. 50,000 watts of power. Radio for podcasts and uh, listen to it in on real time. That's about it. Don't quit. Later. This microphone turns sound into electricity. Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! of a listener. broadcasting if there's no one there to receive it's the end of radio as we come to the close of our broadcast day Radio. 